And in many ways, we've reached the point we've all been waiting for, the great transition point in the letter of the Romans. Tonight, the paragraph before us brings us to the very heart of this letter, indeed, the very heart of the Bible. Many a preacher has said, as they've come to preach in this passage, this is, this paragraph, the most important statement on the gospel, not just in Romans, but in the entire Bible. John Stott said it like this in one place, there is good reason why Dr. Leon Morris, who was a renowned New Testament scholar of a previous generation, said that these verses possibly constitute the most important single paragraph ever written. Now, that's high praise indeed. And that makes it a daunting task to preach on these verses. But that being the case, this passage calls for our undivided attention because what is set before us this evening is truly the good news of Christianity. We're moving from the bad news to the good news. And there are no more two more glorious words in the entire Bible than the words that begin verse 21. But now, but now reverses all that Paul has been arguing from chapter 1 verse 18 through chapter 3 verse 20. But now brings hope where there seemed to be no hope. Remember what Paul's been saying? We all stand condemned. We are all unrighteous. We are all worthy of God's just judgment. All men, all women, both Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, apparently moral, openly immoral. None of us can ever hope to escape the judgment of God. But now, but now, hear the good news. We've heard the bad news But now hear the good news. Paul's not going to speak to us anymore of our condemnation. He now wants to speak to us of the reality of justification. Tim Keller says it like this. Paul turns, as it were, from the black cloth of human sin to hold up the glittering diamond of the gospel. This paragraph tells us how unrighteous people can stand in God's sight on the last day as righteous, perfect in God's sight. Even though we've been charged as guilty, we can be declared righteous. Now, a couple things to say. When we're speaking about justification, we're speaking about a legal declaration. So this section is not about the transformation of how people can move from being sinners and becoming more godly and Christ-like. That's the doctrine of sanctification. This passage is about the once and for all act where God declares people righteous. And so as we come to that, let's have that in view. The doctrine of justification, not the doctrine of sanctification. So easy for Christians to confuse the two. And the other thing to say is that this passage answers the greatest conundrum. Like, just think about what I said. God 
can declare unrighteous people righteous. Is that just? Is that fair? Like if an earthly judge said to someone who'd committed many heinous acts and crimes, I know you're guilty, but I'm going to say you're not guilty. We would all say that's a miscarriage of justice. We would all raise up our arms in shock. But, but here we're saying this is good news and we're all rejoicing. Well, this passage answers how God can declare unrighteous people righteous and at the same time remain just and righteous himself. So we're going to work through this, uh, these, this, this paragraph answering three questions. What is the good news? What is the means by which we deceive the righteousness that is not our own? And then question three is really two questions. How can God declare unrighteous people righteous and at the same time himself remain righteous? So let's start with looking at the the, the good news. So for three straight chapters, Paul has been arguing no one's righteous. No, not even one. No excuses, no exceptions. Every single one of us falls short of God's glory. Look at verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Now, we wouldn't think about this, but I think we should think about this. In some ways, it would have been perfectly just if Paul stopped his letter there and if God had decided in his eternal decrees that he would not do anything for all of us who have sinned against him. Just theoretically speaking, it would have been the just and the righteous thing of God to punish all of us who are charged as guilty. It really is a breathtaking reality that verse 21 then transitions and says, but now. Because this is an incredible act of grace on God's part. He gives us undeserving, unrighteous sinners Truly what we don't deserve. We deserve his eternal death, his just condemnation. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Verse 21. The NIV puts it like this, that the righteousness from God has been revealed. There was once no hope, now hope is revealed to us. And the righteousness of God speaks to us of the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. This is a righteousness that does not come from ourselves. It's a righteousness that comes from outside of us. Now, I don't know about you, right? But see, when you do something wrong, my instinct is I want to fix it. You know, when, when I mess up, I want to make it right. So for the last few weeks, we've been seeing how we have truly messed up. And it's, it's interesting that even as human beings, or sinful human beings, our instinct is we want to make things right. And it's inbuilt in all humanity, sinful humanity, that we think that we can make things right with God by ourselves. So we think if we could just keep the law, if we could just do more good, then hopefully God will be pleased with us. Now, I know that some of you will hear that and say, I'd never think like that, but that's honestly what our instincts tell us. We want to contribute something to our great problem. And this section tells us, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. There is nothing that you and I can do. 
You can't contribute to your salvation because you are the problem. Only God is the solution, and his solution is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and let me say this. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion and every other worldview. You see, in every other religion and every other worldview, it does say that you can fix yourself. It does say that you can make yourself right, acceptable for God. Christianity stands unique and says, no, 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 God acts in grace and gives us what we don't deserve. Now, what's so amazing is, and and Paul realizes that what he's speaking about is so amazing, he has to kind of lay it out before everyone that he didn't just make this up. Like, this is too good to be true. Guilty, condemned sinners deserve God's just punishment. The law cannot save us. So what does Paul say next? Well, the law and the prophets, they've borne witness to this. This was God's plan from before he even laid the, beginning, before he even laid the foundation of the earth. This was God's plan, and it was, it was there in the Old Testament. It was there in, in, in shadow and type. You ever wondered in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve are kicked out, you know, they've clothed themselves with figs, a sacrifice needs to be offered and so they can be clothed. Abraham in Genesis, he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Moses believed in Christ as we were studying in John's gospel. Isaiah says, the righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted as righteous. All throughout the Old Testament, this reality of the righteousness of God being given to his people was spoken about, was made known. But now, Paul says, here it is, made known in full, so that you and I can understand it. Now, we're going to come and I'm going to unpack the good news in more full, but let's look at question two. What is the means by which we can receive the righteousness of God? Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The channel that we are made right with God, the channel that we receive God's righteousness is through faith. It's not try harder. It's not trying to improve yourself. It's faith. Faith is the hand that receives the gift of God. Now, I, I, I want to just labor on faith for just for a moment because I think there's lots of us as Christians who misunderstand faith. So many of us as Christians can think we are saved by faith. You are not saved because of your faith. Saved through faith. But, but some people can think it's because you believe that God then rewards you with salvation. So what we need the world to do is we need them to believe God will reward them with salvation. But actually, it's not faith that saves you. It's who your faith is in. It's Jesus that saves us. And faith is the hand that takes Jesus and receives Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. Faith is merely the channel, the instrument. And the reason that's so, so important for us to understand is because your faith, my faith, it fluctuates. Sometimes you doubt. Sometimes you struggle. Sometimes you don't believe. But it's not about your faith. It's not your faith that saves. It's Christ who saves. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. 
And an empty hand that receives Christ once and for all will be justified, made right. And here is the good news that some of you need to hear tonight. Tonight you can go from a status where you are condemned and guilty before God. And just through the hand of faith, the empty hand of faith, receive Christ and have your life transformed. It's truly amazing. The gift that is faith. So we've looked at, touched on, the opening verse tells us that the good news is the righteousness of God. It points us to Jesus. The means by which we receive the, the good news is, and the righteousness that is from God is by faith. Well, let's come now to, to answer the question, how can God declare unrighteous people to be righteous? You know, um, I, I like watching football, and you watch a football game, and right now the VAR is a huge discussion in football, right? Where... Um, they pause the game and the referee goes over and checks it on his screen, the tackle or whether it's a handball. And even with that, referees have been getting it wrong. And when you're watching a game of football on television, you see the fans are outraged. And it's right to be outraged. When someone who should get it right gets it wrong, they declare someone who's clearly handballed it, who's clearly committed a foul, and they say, no, 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 it's not a foul. You know, one of the worst things that we see happening in our world is often it comes in politics is when you see corrupt politicians or corrupt political parties rig elections and enter in power. And we're all outraged. I just think about it, right? How outraged are we when we know someone has been guilty of a heinous crime and, and they get off scot-free? We're outraged. How outrageous is it then that God would take people who are condemned, who are guilty as charged, and say, you're righteous? Like, it, it truly is a, a dilemma. And, and, and I think sometimes as Christians, we, we don't give much thought to this. Why is it that we never stop to pause and think that God forgiving us may actually compromise God's character? Like, does it not bother us that a righteous God would declare guilty and unrighteous people righteous? It deeply bothered Paul. And so that's why in this paragraph he answers the question, how can God do this and maintain his righteousness? Now, you know the answer to that conundrum? The answer is the cross. The answer is is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there we see that, that Jesus Christ died as our substitute. Jesus died, Christ died in our place, took the penalty and the, the punishment for our sins. So look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Then look what he goes on and says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he'd passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now I want to get a wee bit theological for just a moment. Theologians speak about the active and the passive obedience of Christ. And when we speak about the, the passive obedience of Christ, we're, we're referring to, and we must never separate these two things, 
but we can take them apart just to inspect them for a moment. When we speak about the passive obedience of Christ, we're speaking about his penal substitutionary death on the cross. And Christ in, on the cross, he bore our wrath. He took the punishment that our sins deserved. He propitiated God's wrath. He turned it away from us, and he himself died that wrath-absorbing death that you and I should have died. So God doesn't let sinners off the hook. God punishes sin in his substitute, his son. You know, Paul will come and say, say this about the good news of the cross in chapter 5. The cross is a demonstration of God's love. It is. But that's just a part of it. The cross is also a demonstration of God's justice. God displays his righteous judgment on sin in pouring out his wrath on his son who bears the punishment and the penalty for our sin. At the cross, God is both just because our sins are paid for. He doesn't let them go. He doesn't overlook them. He doesn't brush them under the carpet. No, he deals with them. And God is also the justifier. He declares those righteous who come and believe by faith take the gift of Christ's righteousness for themselves. So, 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 so what? Well, here's where this is significant. If God, and, and this is pastoral, right, comfort and assurance for you and I, if God has exercised his just judgment on the cross, on his son, for his people's sins, that means if you believe and trust in Christ, you need not worry that you will face punishment on the last day. Because that would be a miscarriage of justice on God's part if he were to double judge us, judge us in Christ on the cross, our sins, the penalty, and then judge us in the last day for the same sins. And so here's the amazing reality. Because of Christ's passive obedience, because of his substitutionary death on the cross, because he propitiated God's wrath, you and I don't face judgment anymore. And brothers and sisters, that's great news. That's glorious news. Guilty ones go free. Our sins have been fully paid for. But then there's another question in Paul's mind. Well, how can God's justice be upheld because he punishes sins in Jesus? But there's this other problem. He declares us righteous even though we are not. Like we're guilty. How then can God declare us righteous? Well, this is where we speak about the act of obedience of Christ. That is, Christ in his life from, from literally the moment he left heaven in the incarnation until the moment he said on the cross, it is finished, kept the law perfectly in our place. He was righteous, all of his obedience. He was circumcised in the eighth day. His parents presented him in the temple. He was obedient to every point of the law. When Satan took him into the wilderness and tempted him, he did not succumb. He was obedient in our place. And because of that, because of his righteous record, at the cross, our substitute, the righteous one, died as the unrighteous one so that we, the unrighteous, could be declared righteous. So Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. He takes our sin, we get 
credited his righteousness. Now, I need us just to, to try and think about this because this is so glorious. So let me try and illustrate this. And this, this is a trivial illustration, but hopefully it'll make the point. Imagine you were in debt to the bank. Let's just go 500 million pounds. Like major debt. Like impossible for you ever to pay it back. Imagine you went into the bank one day and you tried to level with the banker and you said to him, listen, I can't pay you back. Not now, not ever. There's just no chance. And suppose in that moment the banker said, okay. And he took the screen and he turned it around to you. And he says, well, actually, look at the screen. Someone has paid your debt in full. You're 500 million pounds in the red. You're now in the black. Zero. Someone has paid your debt in full. What would your response be? You'd be over the moon, ecstatic. Like you'd be punching the air. You would be celebrating, rejoicing. What a gift of amazing redemption. And so you, you go to walk out the bank. You're skipping, you're dancing, you're singing. And the banker says, whoa, 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 whoa. Come back. I forgot to tell you. Look again at your bank account. There's a one, and then there's an infinite, infinite number of zeros after it. The person who paid your debt has also credited to your account an infinite amount of money. Like you can't get more of it. You're the richest man in the world. Now, what would your reaction be there? I think I'd fall down, collapse, like, like you could not imagine it. It's just unbelievably good news. Well, here's what happens. Christ Jesus, he pays our debt. Our sin is dealt with. God's justice is exercised on our sin. Sin isn't overlooked. Sin isn't swept under the carpet. Sin is addressed. But, but you know, that doesn't fix our problem. Yeah, we might now be in the black. Yeah, our debt is paid for. But you know what we need? We need righteousness to stand in God's sight. And by faith, God declares us righteous because we receive Christ's righteous record. So that in God's sight, we are as righteous before God as Christ is. Like, this is the glorious good news, and the one who has done this is the one who can justify us. He can take an unrighteous person and declare them righteous because sin has been dealt with. His wrath has been poured out, satisfied in his son, the perfect offering, and he shows himself to be just, the just judge of the universe. Now, see that illustration of the bank? I said it was trivial. But see if you get the gospel tonight. You can't just sit like a passive pedestrian Presbyterian. Like truly, this is worthy of screaming, shouting, and dancing, and rejoicing. You and I deserve God's condemnation, eternal death. His son 
takes the punishment and the penalty for our sin on the cross. He takes God's eternal wrath in himself. And then, as we believe in him, his righteousness is imputed to us so that we are safe and secure forevermore. And you did absolutely nada, nothing. He did absolutely everything. What's your response? This is, this is truly the best News in the universe. Unrighteous, guilty, condemned sinners. Righteous. By faith in Christ. So if you're here this evening and you've never put your faith in Christ, tonight, with the hand of faith, by believing and trusting in what Christ has done, you can be declared righteous, even though you are unrighteous. And you who have already done this, you need to know that, see tonight, right now, God sees you as he sees his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God loves you as he loves his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to face penalty and punishment for your sin. No, 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 you're going to spend the rest of eternity receiving nothing but his infinite blessing. He loves you. And this once and for all declaration that is justification, honestly, it is the most glorious doctrine in all the Bible. And it's the doctrine that Paul, throughout his letters, just boasts and just glories in Christ and him crucified on our behalf. Act of obedience, passive obedience. It's one act of obedience, his perfect life and death for you and for me who believe. And so, church family, let's, let's respond. Let's bow our heads. Let's say thank you. But let's go from here with the joy of our salvation and let's live for him, rejoicing in this good news of the gospel. We're just stunned. In some ways, this, this, this seems like a fiction story because it seems too far, far too good to be true. We who have sinned against you time after time after day, time, day after day, week after week, year after year, we who are sinful by nature and by deed, that you in your son would take the punishment and the penalty that we deserve. That he would turn the wrath of God away from us and that he would, in his body, absorb the wrath for us and in his soul. He the righteous one, he the perfect one. That he would, at the cross, demonstrate your incredible love for sinners. But at the cross, it demonstrate just how just you are. That you will punish sin. That you will be faithful to your word. That the wages of sin is death. That Christ Jesus took the death of those who would believe and trust in him. 
God, we are stunned. We, we, we are speechless. That not only would we have our sins forgiven, but that we would receive the perfect righteousness of Christ, credited to our account. And God, we, we are astounded that on that final day, on that last day, you will see us and you will see Christ's righteousness because you've declared us righteous. You are the justifier and you are the just God. God, please would you help these truths sink into our hearts, into our minds, and deep into our souls. And please, God, would, the, the, would it be the, the, the gratitude, our grateful response to understanding the truth that we have just meditated upon that would lead us to live lives that are, that are in a manner worthy of the gospel that we have just meditated upon. Oh, God, put a new song in our hearts. Put a spring in our steps. And may we go from here rejoicing in your love and your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.